Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. So, we're going to have a great time this week, and I want God to work in your heart. And uh, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your Christian life, some of you aren't, some of you aren't saved. And that's a wonderful thing that you're here because you have the opportunity this week. I believe some of you are going to come to know the Lord as your Savior this week. And man, that's going to be amazing. And we want you to. And uh, we're excited about what God's going to do in your life. Some of you are on the pres- you're just right on the edge of making decisions with your life. Man, you're in a very, very difficult time in your life. Some of you come from good homes. Some of you come from broken homes. Some of you come from, from really good families. Some of you, man, y- y- your family's just been a mess. And, uh, but here's the great thing. We're going to look at some people tonight that somewhere in here, you're going to find somebody that you identify with in this story, and God's going to use it to speak to your heart. All right, are you ready to start? Look at, look at Ruth chapter 1, the book of Ruth, and it says, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now, how many of you remember the book of Judges? How many of you remember the book of Judges? All right, somebody tell me one of the judges. Just holler out at one of the judges. All right, Who? Gideon I heard Gideon I heard Samson all right so all these judges and what happened was is Israel had come over into the promised land and Israel's now in Canaan and when they get there they didn't have a king and so everybody did that which was right in their own eyes everybody just started doing what was right hey can you imagine it sounds pretty cool to say hey I just want to do whatever I want to do and whatever feels good that sounds great but what if your neighbor he likes to do stuff like killing people and he's like, this is awesome. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to do it. And it's okay for me. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I like it. And so I should be able to do that. I mean, after all, I was born as a murderer. And so he just goes around killing everybody. Well, uh, well, that would be a problem for you. So, so Israel was in a mess because everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do. And they would get in all kinds of trouble. And then other nations would come and take them captive. And then God would have to send a judge to deliver them. Somebody like Gideon, somebody like Samson. And they would deliver them. And the people would all get right with the Lord. And they would say, okay, God, we're going to really serve you this time. And before long, they're all doing what they want to do anyway. And so somewhere in that time when the judges ruled, all we know is, it says in the Bible here, that there was a famine in the land. Now, what's a famine? All right, there was no food, right? So here they are, they're living in this land and there's no food. Can you imagine what it would be like if there was no food? You go to Walmart and there's no food in Walmart. And by the way, let me just tell you, food doesn't come from Walmart. I was talking to a couple of little kids in our church one day and, and not long ago and I was telling them and they, they ride on our Sunday school bus and I was talking to them and, and um, I said, hey, where does milk come from? And they were like, Walmart. And I said, no, milk does not come from Walmart. Nice try, bub. Milk comes from a cow. And this little kid looked at me and went, huh? I said, milk comes from a cow. And he's like, ooh. And then I really started thinking about it. Like, I've really never thought about it like that. Milk comes from a cow. 
Like, who was the first person <laughs> that was like, hey, Bill, yeah? You see them little hangy things on the back of that cow right there? Uh, yeah? If I were to just mosey over there and squeeze them things, would you drink whatever comes out of it? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Man, I heard about some guys one time, they're sitting around a campfire, they're eating, they're eating food, and the guy's like, what are you eating, man? He's like, I'm eating cow tongue. The guy's like, oh, that's nasty. I would never eat anything that came out of the mouth of an animal. He said, well, what are you going to have, eggs? Oh, okay. That was a great choice. <laughs> so here's a famine. There's no food. Everybody's in trouble. Now watch this very carefully. And the Bible says, and it came to, it was, it, it, there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Now Bethlehem in the Bible, every time you read the word Beth, that means the house of, like Bethel is the house of God. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. So everybody tell me, what does Bethlehem mean? It means the house of, house of bread. So in the house of bread, there's no bread. And there's a famine in the land. And so this man here, the Bible says, went to sojourn in the land of Moab. Now, I want everybody to understand about Moab. Moab was a wicked, wicked place. I won't go through all the detail, but let me tell you what happened. There was a guy named Lot, and Lot went and moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was all kinds of sin and wickedness, and God warned him, I'm going to destroy that land. And God finally had to come in with two angels and bring Lot out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot comes running out with his wife and his girls. He comes running out, and God rains fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, destroys the city. And Lot, his wife turns around, becomes a pillar of salt, and there's so many great truths in this we won't go into all that so Lot goes up to a cave and his girls think that everybody in the world has been destroyed and there's no way that there's going to be any more kids and no, no more human life and so his girls uh, decide to do something very wicked probably something they learned in, in Sodom and so in other words uh, there was a there was a wicked ungodly sin committed in that cave and Lot became the father of his own grandchildren. And one of those boys, his name was Moab. And Moab was a wicked, wicked boy. I mean, Ammon was the other son and Moab, and they were wicked. They were born in sin. They were raised in ungodliness. They didn't know God, Jehovah. They were ungodly boys. In fact, everywhere they went, they set up idols. They worshiped idols. They did all kinds of ungodly, wicked things. And God cursed Moab. I mean, he cursed that place. They rejected God. They were rebellious. They were filthy. They were wicked. And God cursed them. And I want you to see the curse for just a minute, all right? Very quickly mark in your in your bible the book of ruth and run back to the book of deuteronomy and chapter 23 all right look at deuteronomy chapter 23 deuteronomy chapter 23 some of you's like man deuteronomy I, I i don't even know much about that book well that was the book that jesus quoted from the most of any other book in the bible he quoted from the book of deuteronomy and there's so many great things in but look at deuteronomy chapter 23 and everybody look at verse number three you got it? Look at Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3. Watch what the Bible says. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord even till their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. So God said, listen, I don't want Ammonites and Moabites coming into Israel and living here. 
They can't have any place in Israel, in the land, in the congregation. They cannot have any part or any place here for 10 generations. Now listen, we're not talking about 10 years. We're not talking about 10 decades. We're talking about 10 generations. They can't have no part. And so here's this guy. There's a famine in the land. In the, in the house of bread, there is no bread. So he takes his family and he goes down to Moab, which is a place where it's cursed of God. It's wicked and ungodly. Now let's find out who this guy is. The Bible says in verse 2, that the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech means my God is king. So what does Elimelech mean? My God is king. And he has his wife, and his wife's name is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. So here's husband, my God is king, and his wife is so pleasant. He's driving down the road. It's a beautiful day. I mean, God's so wonderful. And she's like, yes, he is so wonderful. It's so pleasant. And he's like, you know, I'm glad my God is king. And she says, yes, it's so pleasant that God is king. I mean, they're just a happy family, right? Then they had some kids. And they had two boys. And the name of the first boy, his name was Malon. Now, the name Malon means sick. Now, we're not talking about 2017, like, whoa, that car is sick. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, whoa, look, that dude's puking. He's sick. All right? We're talking about that kind of sick. So Malon means sick. And then they had another son named Killian. And Killian means whining. Now, one of these days, you'll understand this when you become a parent. But let me tell you this. There is nothing in the world worse than having kids that are sick or whining. And this, this kid's in the back seat, right? And he's just puking everywhere. And his brother's going, ah, oh, why has he got to puke in the car? It's so nasty. There's chunks on the floor. And I just bought these shoes. And man, they're just, they're driving on the road. And, and so Pleasant's like, it's okay. He's just so sick. And the other guy's like, hey, just pray for him. You know, God's king. He'll heal him. And his brother, I don't want to pray. Uh, so man, they're just going on the road, got a kid sick. And now there's a famine and the sick kid's not even puking. He's just dry heaving because there's no food, right? So he's just like, huh. You ever got the dry heaves? I hate the dry heaves. There's nothing, I hate throwing up, but the thing I hate worse than throwing up is when you dry heave and it's like your body is trying to get rid of everything on the inside, get it on its outside. And there's nothing left in there but your spleen and your body's like, it's gotta go. And you're just laying there like, <laughs> right? You ever done that? Okay, so now he's doing that and the kid's like, ah, he's dry heaving. I liked it better when he puked. And so man, so now my God is king is like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. And Pleasant's about to lose her mind. So they, they just take the next exit from Moab because there's food down there and they can get their kids uh, uh, fed and, and satisfied if they go down to Moab and so they go to Moab now listen when they got down there they stayed there for a while and both of their boys eventually got better and they got married and they got married one married a girl by the name of Orpah she was a twin sister her other sister was was Oprah no I'm just kidding it was not true Orpah and then the other one married uh, Malon married a, a girl by the name of Ruth and so they have these two wives and then something very terrible happens look in your Bible right here watch what happens in verse number three um, the Bible says an Elimelech and Naomi's husband died all of a sudden, my God is king dies in Moab now listen very carefully what happens uh, the wages of sin is death and so Moab is a place of sin and wickedness and Elimelech was not supposed to go there he knew better he was a Hebrew he knew what God said about that and he went down there with his family and now his boys married these Moabite girls they weren't supposed to do that that was on that was that was ungodly God had commanded them not to do that they disobeyed God now let me tell you what happened they came to a place in their life Elimelech came to a place in his life where he had to make a decision now, I want, you to, I want you to say three things with me. Number one, I want you to say this. We are free to choose. 
You know, God gave you a free will. God gave you the freedom of choice. We're free to choose. Uh, in fact, I want you to say this, number two. We are not free not to choose. Do you know that, that, you know that this week is going to be a week of decision for you? You're going to hear the word of God preached. You're going to have God deal with you. And you have to make a decision. And here's the great thing. God has given you the liberty. God is not going to force you to do anything. God is not going to make you. He is not going to coerce you. He's not going to twist your arm. God is just going to present to you his will for your life. And you are free to choose that. Or you're free to choose your own way. Now listen. Now listen. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Elimelech went his own way. He went his own way. And now he's dead. And his boys have married these girls. And they're not supposed to do that. And they're living in this place. It's a cursed place. And it's an ungodly place. And, and listen, Elimelech was free to choose. In fact, he was not free not to choose. He had a choice. And he was going to make that choice. Every one of you have a choice. And you're going to choose one way or the other what you're going to do with your life. Now I want you to say the third thing with me. So the first one was, we are free to, we are not free. And the third thing I want to say this, we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices. All right, everybody say it. Ready? We are. Once you make a choice, you're free to make a choice. In fact, when there's a decision to be made, in fact, you're not free not to choose. You have to choose one way or the other. But you're not free then to choose the consequences of whatever way you choose. Now, listen, that works. Sometimes we think about that in the negative, but there's also a wonderful positive when you make the right choice. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But listen, have you ever made a dumb decision? Have you ever done something just like, man, that was stupid? I grew up in Colorado, and I lived at 4590 Debonair Circle. I was the youngest of six kids. I had two brothers that were 10 and 7 years older than me, and then two sisters way above them, and then we had a brother that passed away, and he was in heaven. So I was way behind my brothers and sisters, and we lived in Colorado. We lived on this big hill. Our house was way up on top of the hill, and the hill went way down in front of our house, and, man, we would build go-karts, and we would do all kinds of stuff and race down the hill. And there was a boy that lived across the street, and he was a pansy. I mean, the kid would like, he would come out, we were doing stuff, and he would just stand and watch, and, and he would never get involved. And, and back in those days, man, we, we used to play a game, and, and it was called Smear the Queer, okay? And that's what we called it. Because it just means, queer just means strange. And, and when you have the football, you're just different than everybody else because you're the one with the football. And so it's just like smear him, okay? And that's what you did. And we played that. It was awesome. And, man, we got smeared when you had the ball. And, and so, but Jamie would never play that. And Jamie was like, he was a little, he was just a little jerk. His mom would come to the door and she would cry, you know, Jamie, it's time to come in. And he'd be like, no. He'd be riding his bike. She'd, Jamie, you get in here. And he, no. He'd just ride his bike. She'd say, Jamie, one, two. She would never get to three. Two, one, two and a quarter. I'm like, just get to three and beat the kid with whatever you got. So my, my parents never counted. When my parents started counting, it was the counting spankings. One, two, three, four. But they never did. So my dad, one time, he comes home and, man, he, he unloads the trunk of the car. My dad had stopped by a yard sale and he bought us, you older guys remember this, my dad bought us boys for like 75 cents from a yard sale. He bought us some huffy bikes. 
had these huffy bicycles with a banana seat, had the big sissy bar in the back, had the big handlebars, little things. I mean, he got them like 75 cents, you know. We're riding these around. Man, these little huffies. And so we got these new bikes. We're riding around. Well, Jamie could not be outdone. So he and his mom go to the store. He comes back an hour later. He gets out of the car, and he's got a brand new diamondback mongoose. You like, I don't know what that is. Oh, let me tell you this. That was like, that was like the Lamborghini of bikes. He's got this mongoose and he gets it out of the trunk and his mom and him are putting the thing together. And he's riding around in his driveway. We're on our huffies. At the bottom of the hill, one of our neighbors had put this big pile of rocks that they were going to use for landscaping. And so whenever the neighbor puts a pile of rocks, the best thing you can do is just put a big piece of plywood on it. And then just ramp that thing. I mean, we're flying down the hill. I mean, we're going down the hill like tears are coming out of your eyes. We're getting the high-speed wobbles right before you hit. You know? Man, it was awesome. Those huffies were coming apart. And then Jamie's just up there riding around. And so finally, we're just like, Jamie, jump that thing. Man, you got the mongoose. You got a diamondback mongoose. You're not a man. And so finally, we put Jamie in a position where he had to choose. In fact, he was not free not to choose. So Jamie decides... Okay, I'll do it. So he takes off down the hill. Well, first thing was, we didn't realize this, but he wasn't wearing shoes. And you know, those pedals have those little things on them, those little grippies. He's just in his little white tube socks and he's booking down the hill on his brand new mongoose. And we're watching him go. I'm like, man, he is picking up speed. Man, he's like got the wobbles. My brother, my oldest brother sitting on his huffy next to the pile and he's watching Jamie come. And I remember the look on my brother's face. He's like, Jamie's coming down, and right as Jamie's about to hit the plywood, my brother goes, pull up on the front wheel. You know, because when you want to go up, you want to land on that back wheel and set it down, right? So Jamie's like, oh, and he pulls up on the front wheel like this. And see, his mom helped him put the bike together, and they didn't tighten down the gooseneck. So Jamie's in the air, handlebars are in his hands. (laughs) And the front wheel's just spinning down there in front of him. And we're all like, this is going to be awesome. Man, Jamie comes down. He comes down. Wham, he hits the ground. His feet just like implode on those pedals. They jab his feet. He's bleeding out of his white socks. His hands come down like this. His chest meets the gooseneck. Boom, right there, right in the solar plexus. Boom. His handlebars continue down until they make contact with the front tire, and they come to a dead stop. But his forearms just keep moving. Snap. So Jamie just tumbles. When he hops up, his arms are doing like this. He's bleeding out of his feet, and Jamie's looking at us like, whoa, whoa. Right? He takes off running, leaving these little red footprints up the sidewalk. His arms are going everywhere. He's running to his house. He realizes he can't knock on the door. So he's just, you know, like trying to get, trying to get his hand on, you know. And, and his mom opens the door, and Jamie's got both of his arms flopping. And he looks at his mom, and poof, he just passes out. We're just going. Jamie pulls out with his mom. About four hours later, they come back. Jamie's in a chest cast with these two little prop rods on his arms, scooting out. We're like, hey, how long are you going to be in that? Like six weeks. Oh, can we ride your bike? <laughs> now, now, can I tell you something? There's sometimes we make some bad decisions. 
Jamie made a horrible, and, and listen, he was free to choose. He could have said no, but, but once he chose, he was not free to choose the consequences of his choices. Uh, Elimelech goes down to Moab. He makes the choice. And when he gets down there, his boys marry these girls. And then he dies. And now we find out what happens. His wife says to the girls, you go back home. Go back to your families. My, the, the, the two boys died. I didn't, I didn't tell you that part. But, but Elimelech dies. And then Malon and Killian both die. So now you have these three widows there. And Naomi says to the girls, you go back to your, your, your homes. Go back to your gods. And look what Ruth says in verse 16. Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Now let me tell you what Ruth just did. Ruth didn't know anything about, I mean, she came from a cursed land. She came from a godless land. She didn't have a Christian family. She, her family didn't know God. And she said, in this moment, Orpah's going back home to her family. And Ruth says, listen, I'm willing to leave my family behind and leave my country behind. And I'm going with you because I'm going to follow your God. And your God's going to be my God. And your people are going to be my people. And you know what we call that? We call that faith. And that moment, she believed God. And I believe right here in verse 16, Naomi, uh, when she said, go home, Ruth says, no, you're God, my God. I really believe with all my heart that right then and there, God saw the faith of Ruth and Ruth was justified before God. She was saved. I, I think I can, I can prove that in just a moment, but watch this. So now Ruth is leaving her land. She's turned her back on Moab. She's going with Naomi back to the land. Now watch what happens. The Bible says that they come in verse 19. They too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said, call me not Naomi. Now everybody tell me, Naomi means what? Pleasant. pleasant. She said, don't call me pleasant. She said, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She was bitter. Now, I know, what, I, know what, I know what she was bitter at. She was mad and she was angry and she was bitter that her husband had made this terrible choice and taken her family down there. She was bitter that they lived in Moab. Isn't that right? She was bitter that their choices led to these deaths and led to this curse on their family. She, that's what she was bitter at, right? No, no. She said, call me not Mara, or call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Look at verse 20. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And then she says this. She says, listen, God, God has done this to me. Well, wait a minute. God didn't do that to you. God, God told you, God told you in his law not to go to the heathen. God told you to put your faith and your trust and to seek him first and that God would bless you in that land. If you remained in the land, that God would bless you in the land. As long as you stay where God tells you to be, as long as you do what God tells you to do, as long as you're walking in his will, in harmony with God, God blesses his people. But they made a choice. And they left there and now they're dealing with the brokenness and the sin and the heartache. And Ruth says, I'm going with you. And Naomi comes back and she says, God has dealt very bitterly with me. And now notice what she says. I mean, that's not bad enough. I mean, I thought that would be a, the, the worst thing she could say, that God is treating me unfairly. But watch what she says. She goes further. Look at this. Look at verse 21. She said, I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me 
home again empty. She said, I went out with everything and I'm coming home with nothing. Hey, let me ask you a question. How do you think Ruth felt? I mean, Ruth just left everything she had. She left her mother, her father. She left her land of nativity. She left everything behind. And she's following God. She's going with Jehovah. She's going back to the land. She's telling Naomi, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. She goes with her. And she, as she gets there, Naomi blows her off. Naomi is shaking her fist at God. God has treated me unfairly. God has done me wrong. I used to have everything. And now I have absolutely nothing. Ruth is, have you ever felt insignificant? You ever felt like you didn't matter? You ever felt like you weren't as good as everybody else? You ever felt like, I mean, Ruth is in a land she, she doesn't belong in. She's in a land that she's not from. I mean, this is all new to her. And now she's standing there. She's, she's in a place uh, for the first time that she's not familiar with and people she doesn't know and a language she doesn't really understand. And all she knows is, is that the, the woman that she came with thinks that she's nothing. But you see, Ruth had made a decision. She'd made a choice. I, I might be the girl from a bad background. I might have come from a broken home or a, a bad family and my family didn't know the Lord. But, but I've chosen to follow him. I've chosen to put my faith in God and I'm coming with you. And, and she's, all she knew is that she had chosen God. And, and, and Naomi, you might think I'm nothing and, and you might think that I'm, that I'm insignificant and you may think that I have no right to be here. And, and you know what? You're right. I don't but I've put my faith in God. And let me tell you something, young people. Let me tell you what always follows that. When you choose him, when you choose him, let me tell you what always follows faith. There's one word that always follows faith. And that's the word grace. Look at chapter two. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find what? I shall find what? Grace. You know what grace is? We say, well, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Yes, that's true. A grace is undeserved favor from God. Yes, that's true. But you know what grace is? Let me just tell you what grace is. Grace is when God steps into your life. I'm talking about when God that you don't deserve, he is holy, he is righteous, you are sinful, you are ungodly, but when God steps into your life and he begins to take control, that is the grace of God. That is when God begins to give you everything that is in his hand to give you. That is where God steps in. Oh, young people, you know what some of you need tonight? Some of you need to put your faith in a big God and you say, that's the God. I'm going with him all the way. I don't have much. In fact, everybody thinks I am nothing. I'm standing here with some somebody who thinks I'm insignificant I'm in a land I don't I'm not familiar with all I know is is I believe in him and I know that God is God and he's a good God and he's a God full of favor and I'm going to go with him and I'm just going to expect God to step in the middle of my mess and God to fix it and give me grace 
She said, I'm going out to glean. Now, you know, gleaning was this. When they would, when they would start harvesting the, 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 the fields, some of that would fall on the ground. And God told them in his law, don't, whatever falls on the ground, don't get it. You just keep harvesting. Whatever falls on the ground, you leave it there. And the poor, the widows, the fatherless, they can come behind and they can just pick up those pieces. They can pick up those pieces. A, a person would glean all day long following the, the reapers and they would pick up pieces and the, the, they, they tell us that a person doing that would usually get about one day's worth of food. I mean, a whole day's work for one meal. And Ruth just says, I'm gonna go out and find a field to glean in and just, just look for whose side I can find grace in. You know what she was doing? She was walking by faith, expecting God to do something big. And look what happened. Look what happened in verse number three. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now watch it carefully. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now who was Boaz? Verse one says he was a mighty man of wealth and he was part of the family of Elimelech's family. Huh. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the Bible says as she went, it just so happened that she walked into Boaz's field. Hey, it was her hap. It just so happened. It's amazing to me that when you've chosen to walk with God, when you've chosen to follow him, when you've chosen to put your hands in, the, in, the, in your life in the hands of God, it's just amazing how things just happen. God just lets things happen. She just walks in and she gets in this field and she just starts gleaning and picking up the pieces and she's looking around. She doesn't know anybody. She's a foreigner. She's not even supposed to be here. She's a Moabitess. She's not supposed to have any part in this land and she's just picking up pieces. Oh, listen to me. Let me tell you something. Some of you have lived a life and your parents have made the choices. Uh, your parents have made decisions. Your grandparents made choices and there's been, a, there's been some things in your family where things have just fallen apart. You've gone through the door divorce you've been you've gone through all the stepdad or the stepmom and you've had a life that's been broken but let me tell you something if you'll just begin to just trust the Lord and just start picking up whatever little pieces you can pick up and say God I'm just going to start picking up my pieces God will just let things start happening and there's Ruth Boaz wasn't home he was at Bethlehem he was picking up some supplies and the Bible says in verse number Verse number uh, eight, uh, the Bible, uh, well, let's look at verse number uh, four. Boaz came home from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord bless you, or the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless thee. I mean, it's just a common greeting. He gets out of the chariot. He's been to Bethlehem. He said, hey, he sees all his employees out there. He said, Lord be with you guys. And they're like, Lord bless you, boss. And he's walking along, but he sees somebody. And he calls over his head reaper. Hey, 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 Joe, come here. Joe comes over there and he says in verse number five, then Boaz said unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And see, we read that like, you know, the way we read our Bibles is we just, you know, and then he said unto his servant, and said the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was said, no, he didn't say it, whose damsel is this. He, he called him over and said, hey, hey, Joe, <laughs> whose damsel is this? <laughs> Who's the babe? And he's looking at the boss like, what? He looks at him in verse, in verse number six and he's like, uh, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the land of Moab? I mean, can you emphasize something more than, 
It's the Moabitish girl from Moab. Like, ugh. She's not even supposed to be here. Boaz is like, huh. He walks up to Ruth. He says, hey, how you doing? I mean, those first meetings sometimes are very awkward. Boaz walks over to Ruth in verse number eight. Wondering what he's going to say for the first time. He thought it was going to be cool. He kind of played it out into his head. And he just, it came out like, here's thou not my daughter. He just kind of like, how's your hearing? Can you hear me? It didn't go very well for Ruth either. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face. That's a bad meeting. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. How's your hearing? It's great, but my walking's not so good. Boaz, man, he sees this. Whose damsel is this? So he's like, hey, um, I don't want you to go glean in any other field. I want you to stay right here in my field. All this is yours. You just glean wherever your little heart's content. And all his reapers are standing there like, she's a Moabitess. She ain't supposed to be here. And Boaz is like looking at Ruth and he hears them and he's like, okay, and I've also charged the young men that they should not touch thee. And they're like, yeah, no problem with that. (laughs) She's a Moabitess. And then he said, look at this. And then he said in verse number nine, he said, they're not touch thee. And he said, and when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. He's like, look, don't go in any other field and you can stay right in my field. And then he said, and I told the young men not to touch you, right guys? Don't touch her. And they're like, okay. And then he's like, and by the way, if you're thirsty, you just go get it right out of their drink and you just drink right out of theirs. They're like, what? She's a Moabitess. And then she fell down and she said in verse number 10, she bowed herself to the ground and she said, why have I found grace? Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Why are you doing this? I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm a Moabitess. I know I don't belong. Why have you done this for me? And listen, so Boaz looks at her and he goes, so what are you doing for lunch? Look at verse number 14. Boaz says, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Hey, man, have you ever been to one of those restaurants where you get the bread and you dip it in that oil and those spices and stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Boaz had it going on. He's like, hey, why don't you come over to the house at lunch? We're going to eat some bread. We're going to dip it in the stuff, you know? It's going to be great. She's just a small bodice reaper. She's like, okay. So she comes over. Now, they were chaperoned. They didn't even sit together. Verse number, verse number, um, verse number 14, she sat beside the reapers. She didn't sit beside Boaz. She sat over by the reapers. But Boaz knew what he was doing. She's dipping the bread. And Boaz is like, you know, I know what, I know what the, best, the best dates are, the simple dates, right? He's like, I know. She's dipping the bread in that. I'm, I'm going to give her some popcorn. I mean, he's just making that move. You know, he's reaching his arm over there. Look at verse number 15, or verse 14. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn. He just kind of reached out there and he wants some popcorn. It's got butter on it. A little salt, a little white cheddar powder on there. You know, those are always so good, those little dates like that. Until you start eating that popcorn and you get one of those little kernels, like spot welded on the back of your tongue. You're sitting there with your date. Hey, how you doing? You know, 
You just go ahead and nibble on that. Right? So they get done eating, and Ruth just gets up, and she just takes off back to the field to go working. And the reapers all start getting up, and they're like, okay, we got to go back in the field. They start walking out, and Boaz is like, hey, come here, guys. Verse number 15, he said, hey, come here. He commanded his young men, saying, let her glean among, even among the sheaves and reproach her not. He's like, hey, I saw you guys, when, when, when I told her she could drink out of your vessels, I saw the look on your face. So let me tell you something. You let her glean among the sheaves. Like what you've already bundled up, let her start picking out of that. They're like, Are you, have you lost your mind? And oh, he didn't like that. Listen, when the boss is giving orders and you get that look, like when your parents are telling you something, you just get that like, like that, oh, it's coming. Because then he goes on, for, then he goes, he says in verse 16, oh, you don't like that? Well, then let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. He said, listen, let her glean among the sheaves. And they, said, they didn't like that. He said, okay, then you just go get all that stuff off the wagon and just start throwing handfuls down on purpose. You just start throwing it down on purpose. Listen to me, young people. I don't know what you've been through and I don't know where you are, but when you give your life to God and you start walking by faith and you start expecting God's grace and you're just trying to pick up the pieces of your life and you don't matter to anybody else and you're insignificant to everyone and they look down on where you've come from and they don't know you like God knows you. You listen to me. You just pick up the pieces and before long, God will just start throwing Throwing down handfuls of his grace on purpose to you. She comes home after a day of gleaning and she walks in and Naomi said, where have you gleaned? I mean, she had like a month's worth of groceries. Where have you been gleaning? And she said, oh man, I got to tell you what happened. You know, I've got teenage girls, so I know how she told the story. Because she said, told her mother-in-law everything happened. So I went out. I was like walking on the road. And I saw this field. And there's people out there. And I was like, oh, okay. I'll just like try that field. So I just like happened to walk in this field. And I'm like picking up the stuff like that. And then all of a sudden these guys are like, ooh, she's a mobilitis. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't even know what that means. So I'm just like picking it up. And then all of a sudden this guy rolls up in his chair. And he's like, woo, who's Denzel's this? He didn't think I heard it, but I heard it. And then I, poof, I fell down. And then I was like, oh, man. I'm like so stupid. And then he walks over and like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? And someone was out the we ate popcorn. And then we were dipping in the broil. It was like, oh, man, it was amazing. So then I went back out to work and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then they started coming out they just started chunking groceries at me. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi said, whose field was it? She said, it's this guy named Boaz. And when she heard Boaz, oh, bitter Naomi, she's like, all of a sudden she got a song in her heart. We're in the money. We're in the money. We're in the money. So she says, hey, hey, let me tell you what you're going to do. Tonight, they're going to go thresh all that stuff out. They're going to go to the threshing floor. And they're going to work and they're going to thresh out all their groceries. So what you're going to do is you're going to change your garments. Naomi's telling Ruth, change your garments, wash up, get clean, go down there. And when you find out where Boaz is at the threshing floor, when he lays down, you put yourself at his feet, uncover his feet, lay at his feet. And when he says, uh, who is it? You tell him that it's Ruth because it's going to be dark. There's no lights. And then he's going to say it's Ruth. And, and you're going to say, you're going to say it's Ruth, the Moabitess. And, 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 and then I've, I've uncovered you and I want you to cast Cast your garments over me. Cast your skirts over me. Because this was a Jewish ritual. This is a Hebrew ritual. When she came down there, it's a, it's a tradition. She, he laid down at the threshing floor to sleep. And Ruth came in that night. And she was no longer had her, had her widow garments on. She had her wedding garments on. She didn't smell like, she didn't smell like the field. She put perfume on. She got down on his feet. By the way, there's some wonderful things in here about how to get close to Jesus. If you want to get close to Jesus, get your wedding garments on. Get clean. Get the smell of the Holy Spirit on you. 
and then put yourself at his feet. Cast his skirt back and just say, I'm yours. Can you bring me in under your provision? And Boaz sits up and he says, who is this? And she said, it's Ruth. And he says in chapter three, look at this. He says in chapter three, in verse number nine, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thy handmaiden. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaiden, for thou art a near kinsman. He's, she's saying, can you bring me in under your provision, under your protection? Would you make me yours? And he said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as that thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. Oh, do you know, I, mean, I don't have time to say all this, but listen very carefully. What Boaz was saying, he said, Ruth, you could have chased the young men. You could have gone after anybody you wanted, but you've chosen me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the one that, I, I'm not the likely one to be chosen. I'm a bachelor in Bethlehem. No one's ever chosen me before. And you could have gone after any of young men that you wanted, but you chose me. Can I tell you what it's saying here? Do you know it's such a wonderful thing to follow Jesus? It's such a wonderful thing to be chosen by Christ and that he chose you and he saved you and he washed you and he cleansed you. It's wonderful that he died for you and you got saved. He took you in and he made you his own. That's wonderful. But have you ever thought about what it does to the heart of Christ? You chose him. A man, the Bible says, who is rejected and despised and mocked. The world hates Jesus tonight. They don't like his name. They don't like his book. They don't like his doctrine. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. He's an outcast. He's rejected. They don't want to think about him. And the fact that there's a young person here, you could have chosen anything you want. You have your own life. You can do your own thing. You have your own will. But the fact that you've come to Jesus and you've put your faith in him, oh, does it, don't you know it thrills the heart of Christ that you chose him? I love what Boaz says to her. Boaz says in verse 11, and now my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requires for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Girls, a virtuous woman is hard to find. Her price is far above rubies. Ruth is the only girl in the Bible ever called virtuous. The girl from Moab. The girl from a broken life. An accursed city, a woman who had nothing in this world, insignificant to everyone she met. She was a foreigner in this land, a stranger in this land, but a girl who chose to follow Christ and put her, 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 her life in his hands and she walked with him and lived by grace and with faith. And God says about her, that's a virtuous woman. She comes home and she tells her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law asks her, look at this very quickly, I'll be done, just give me about 10 minutes and we'll be done, watch this. She comes home in verse number 16 when she came home. Her mother-in-law said, who art thou, my daughter? Now, how many of you believe that Naomi knew who Ruth was? I mean, Naomi wasn't like, who, who are you? No, she knew who she was. She said, uh, who art thou, my daughter? See, it wasn't a question like, who are you? It was a question like, who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabitess or are you Mrs. Boaz? Who are you? And she told her mother-in-law all that the man had done unto her <laughs> and showed her the veil full of barley. And Naomi said, now sit still for the man will not rest until he has finished the thing this day. Well, what does that mean? 
in Israel, there was a law. It was the law of the kinsman redeemer. Say that with me. The law of the kinsman redeemer. See, here's the thing. If a man married a girl and then the man died, God didn't want all the tribes to be intermixed. He did not want a Judah to get things that belonged to Benjamin. He didn't want all that because God had a plan for those tribes. And so God set up a plan that if this man died, that somebody that was next of kin, somebody that was in the same tribe, if they were able to, if they had enough money and they were willing to do it, they could buy everything that belonged to the man who died. All of his tents, all of his flock, all of his land. And in buying all that, they would even get his wife with that so that they could have children in that man's name and raise up an inheritance for him so that that family name would live on because God had a plan with the Israelites. God had a plan with the Hebrews and this was God's plan. If somebody died, somebody in the family could come along and buy everything there so it would stay in the tribe and that they could have a family name that would continue. Very important because God had told Abraham that I'm going to give you a seed. Well, let me tell you something. It was likely that somewhere along the way, somebody in Abraham's family was going to die and they were not going to have children. So somebody else then in the family could then redeem that person and then still have children in that person's name and keep the family line going. Everybody understand? Now, you didn't have to be a kinsman redeemer. You had to be willing to do it. You had to want to do it. And, and if you wanted to do it, that wasn't enough. You, if you wanted to do it, but you didn't have any money, you couldn't do it. You had, to, you had to have enough money to do it. So Boaz goes down to the courthouse. The next day, he runs down there. Ruth has come and put herself at his feet, said, spread your skirt over me. He did. He's going to go down there. He's going to finish this. He's going to make it official, and he is going to redeem her, and he is going to be married to her. So he goes down to the courthouse. But there's a major problem. When he gets down there, he finds out that there's another man that's in line before him. Guys, that's a problem. When you got this girl, but there's the other guy. So now he's got to figure out what to do. So he, Boaz, sees the guy come in the courthouse and Boaz says, hey, come here, sit down, sit down, sit down, I want to talk to you. So the other guy sits down and he goes, hey, you know that our brother Elimelech died. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, it was terrible. You know he died. Well, uh, I'm here to advertise to you that all of his stuff is up for redemption. And if you want to buy it, you're in line to do it. If you want to redeem all that was Elimelech's, go ahead and redeem it. And just tell me, because I'm after you. And so I want to know if you don't, so I want to know. So you just tell me what you're going to do. And the guy says, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, look at your Bible. Look at chapter four. In verse number four. He said, I thought to advertise these saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there's none to redeem it besides thee and I'm after thee. And he said, I'll redeem it. Oh, do you know Boaz's heart just went? Pfft. And he's thinking like, okay, okay, okay. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And then he came up with a brilliant plan. He looks at the guy and he says to her, he says to him, he said, oh, okay, that's fine. Verse five, he says, that's fine. If you wanna redeem it, that's okay. Just, just understand that what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. You say, what does that mean? Oh, it was a brilliant plan. Boaz is like, oh, this ain't happening. She said, okay, fine, man, you wanna buy it? That's fine. Just remember that when you buy this, 
you got to buy it from Ruth the Moabitess and a bitter mother-in-law. <laughs> the Moabitess girl and a bitter mother-in-law. That's what you're getting. You understand that. And the guy looks at him in verse number six and says, <laughs> I can't redeem it. I'm out. Why? Look what he said. Lest I mar mine own inheritance. He said, oh, wait a minute. I didn't think about that it was of Ruth the Moabitess. If I do that, I'm going to mess up my family inheritance. I've got a good thing going, man. I can't give all this up. And Boaz said, you sure? He said, yeah, I'm out. Now, there was a weird custom, and God gives it to us in verse 7, in that day in the land. There was a weird custom. It was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to concern, con confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. As soon as the guy says, I'm out, Boaz is like, okay, pff, I got it. Here, you can have my shoe. You take my shoe, and I'm buying everything else. Everybody see that? The guy's got my shoe. He's got the shoe. See, he's got the shoe. Everything's mine. So he's walking around with his one sandal on, hobbling around, signing papers. It's all mine. The guy's walking home with Boaz's shoe. Thanks for the shoe. You ever wondered why Boaz, who was a mighty man of wealth, was so willing just like that to give up his inheritance for a Moabitess girl? You ever wondered why a man who had so much just so willingly give it away for a Moabitess girl. The Bible says of Jesus, he who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. Anybody ever wondered why Boaz did this? I'll tell you why. Listen, do you know who Boaz's mom was? Boaz's mom was Rahab the harlot. She was an Ammonite. He was already out. And he said, I'll take her. Just like my daddy took Rahab, a woman of faith. I'll take Ruth, a woman of faith. And he buys it and he marries her. And then the strangest thing happens. The witnesses that were there that day, look what they said in verse number nine. Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Killian's and all that was Malon's. Let me just say this very quickly. There's a lot of people that believe that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. I've had people tell me, well, God chose Ruth, but he didn't choose Orpah. Oh, that's not so. Read that again. He redeemed and he bought everything that was Elimelech's, everything that was Killian's, and everything that was Malon. Orpah was redeemed. She just didn't know it. There's a whole world tonight, young people that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They just don't know it. The price has been paid. They just don't know. But he bought all of it. Jesus paid it all. Boaz buys it all. And notice what they said. The Bible says right here that as soon as he purchased this, they said that we are witnesses this day 
And all the elders in verse 11 that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem and let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare to Judah. Now what in the world does that mean? The witnesses said to Ruth and to Boaz, we want your family to go all the way back like Leah and Rachel. In fact, we want to put your family under the blessings of Perez. Now who in the world was Perez? Way back in the book of Genesis. We're in Ruth. Way back in the book of Genesis. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. There was a guy named Judah who sold his brother Joseph into Egypt, into slavery. And then Judah took off with his buddy Hiram and they went down to the Adolamites and he married an ungodly woman and he had some kids with her. And those kids were so wicked that God killed those kids. And so now Judah, he's got two boys that are dead and one of his boys was married and he sends his daughter-in-law back home. Then Judah goes down to that town later and he sees he's a wicked man. He sees a harlot. He goes into the harlot and she has, she gets pregnant, has two boys and those boys are twins, Perez and Zerah. Turns out that this girl was his son's wife. That's what sin will do to you. And now Judah has these two boys, Perez and Zerah, and he's living here, these two boys that were born in sin and wickedness. God sends a famine and drives him out of that land of Canaan and back to his brother Joseph that he had sold. He falls before Joseph. He repents of his sin. Joseph gives forgiveness and gives him a land called Goshen where Joseph gives them this place where Judah begins to raise his boys and Uncle Joseph starts teaching them about God. And somewhere along the way, little Perez gave his heart to the Lord. And Perez became such a mighty man that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, they said, we want to put your family under the blessings of Perez. So let me tell you this. This little maiden from Moab, a cursed land, has nothing but faith in God. She just commits her faith to the Lord and God just begins to shower her with grace. And the maiden from Moab marries the, the bachelor from Bethlehem. And God blesses them with the blessing of Perez. Here's a beautiful love story. And in this beautiful love story, God ends it with a genealogy. I don't know about you, but reading the genealogies is like, huh? Bohad, Hashafat, Begat. I don't even know what that name is. Have you ever, you ever read the genealogies? And here's this beautiful love story and then God ends it with a genealogy. I used to wonder why. Why would God do that? Until one day I began to pay attention. Let's look at the genealogy for a minute. We're done. God gives Ruth and Boaz a little baby. His name is Obed. Watch verse number 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Now, is that the family that they put them under the blessing of? Yes or no? So everybody say with me right now. Say, Perez one. Perez begot Hezron two. 
Hezron begat Ram, three. Ram begat Aminadab, four. Aminadab begat Nashon, five. Nashon begat Salmon, six. Salmon begat Boaz, seven. Boaz begat Obed, eight. Obed begat Jesse, nine. And Jesse begets David, ten. And the tenth generation, God says, anoint that one. Put the oil on that one. Make him the king. Give him a family that now I'm going to let my son be born in his house. That's my family. That's my kindred. That's my household. My son will be born as the son of David and sit on David's throne. You say, what are you saying, Brother Miller? I'm saying this tonight. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your family's like. I don't understand the pain, the sorrow, the heartache, the hurt that's in your life. I don't know what you are, but God has given you the right to choose and you're free to choose tonight. You can choose like a Limelech. You can go from God's country to the world and you'll pay the wages of sin, but you can also go from the brokenness and the ungodliness and you can go from a mess like Ruth did and you can follow God in faith and God will take you and he'll make you and he'll restore you and in the end, God will bring Jesus out of you. What did God do with Ruth? He brought Jesus out of her. You know what God wants to do with your life? He wants to bring Jesus out of you. Your life may be broken. You may feel insignificant. There's only eight verses in all the Bible that tell us where everything in the universe came from. Just eight. Eight verses. And then God fills the Bible up with chapters of names. Why did he do that? Why would God put eight verses and tell us about the creation and then give us chapter upon chapter of names? Because God likes to write names in his book. Because God said people are more important than the things and I know everybody by name. God knows you tonight. You're free to choose if you'll give him everything that you have, God will step into your life in grace. God will take a maiden from Moab. God will bring out Jesus in your life. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. 
Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.